Warning, this episode contains some strong language. Listener discretion is advised. Listeners, I'm super excited to have somebody on the show today who is involved in two different parts of publishing. Dave Ring is both an author and publisher of Neon Hemlock Press. Dave, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, it's It's been one of my goals to have you on the show for quite some time, and I'm super excited <laughs> to be making that happen. I'm excited to be sought after. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Neon Hemlock is one of my very favorite small presses. I've just loved the work that you've been doing for quite a while at this point, and I'm sure we'll be getting into that some uh, later in the show. Um, It's kind of you to say, and I'm delighted to be here. So, so Dave, you're going to be reading to us from Checks and Balances, correct? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> All right. And is there anything that we need to know about it before we get into it? No, it's um no, it's 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 good to drop you in and the the the, the parts that aren't good about just dropping you into it we can talk about afterward cuz that's okay. partly why. That's partly why I'm here. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, I'm ready when you are. Checks and balances. The SE unit smoothed her skirts at the edge of the table. You brought the paperwork requesting decontamination and resource acquisition. And you need to get this site cleared yesterday. Here. I pushed the sheaf of papers across the table. I'll be damned. Talking to a robot. Hmm. Thank you. Coffee? The SE queued up the clip on her display and held out a tray. My mouth watered as the recording started. I ought to reject it out of principle, but I hadn't had coffee in months. The footage lingered on a scene shot from a vertiginous angle, the frame dominated by sundered cobblestones and monstrous trees dwarfing a toppled white bell tower. The view panned across the ground to a burning building. I peered at it. A number of sites of interest had been flagged for my crew, but they weren't the focus of the clip. What did you record this with? I asked, adding a dash of cream to my cup. It looks different than the Cairo footage. The SE tapped the corporate logo engraved on the table. We employed two clusters of Dr. Albano's drones in Ireland, just as we did in Egypt. Is there a concern, Lieutenant? I didn't bother looking down at the stylized ears like I could forget who owned everything on this station. I took a sip of heaven and rewound the clip again, pausing it on the gaping hole. You spent a lot of time on this structure here, even though the resources we need are closer to the harbor. The SE fidgeted, flicking an access port on her index finger open and closed. Disgusting habit. Expedition protocol requires sampling mnemonic data from the affected areas in order to gauge their impact on the manifestations. I leaned back. For a formality, this sure was taking forever. 
I'm aware from the deceased residents. I still don't know why their memories should matter on these expeditions. The Essie cocked her head. And as stated in station records, Dr. Obano found links between the narrative samples and the... What even are narrative samples? Certainly can't look at them on a slide. I couldn't help but sneer. We need more ships in the void, not more research. Can't build an engine out of narrative samples. Did you know that they called that bell tower a campanile? She gestured towards where the bit of white architecture would have lain just out of frame. And they said that if you were underneath it when the bell rang, you would never graduate. That's just one story. And well before that, the diaspora from this region was known for a host of shared narratives and history that... Do you have any more of this stuff? I interrupted again. (laughs) My mug was empty. If I let her talk, we'd be here all day. In this, in this burning building, a library, the Essie said, voice quavering. She leaned over my cup with her carafe. Fragrant steam plumed upward from the cup. It was called The Long Room. All those stories just gone. I inhaled the steam greedily. It really tickled me that I was spinning through the blackness of space, talking to a robot crying about a bunch of useless ash foolishness surely all the important information was scanned and uploaded i squinted at the pause video beginning to put two and two together not thanks to the se it was right there plain as day a cluster of faces looking out from the hole they were almost human unless until you saw the absurd scales and fangs and wings that sprouted out from any number of inappropriate orifices (laughs) Nothing our children should ever have to see. More vermin? How many of these creatures were there? We'll need them burnt off before we head down. Can't be wasting good men on any more monsters. She began to say more, but I couldn't pay attention. Why would they have programmed her with non-verbals? Unnecessary. And until you ask the right questions about these people, you'll keep coming up with the wrong answers, she said. Wait. My pulse started hammering against my neck. The Essie looked at me. Did you just call them people? She cocked her head. As I said, they're infestations, I said. I slammed my hand down on the desk. The mug shattered, precious black liquid pooling in the engraved logo on the table. Living freaking nightmares. Not people. We're people. And they're in our way. The robot's silence told me full well that she understood my we did not include her. We will be making a recommendation to the courts that these specimens are also people until they decide my report and this meeting are concluded, Lieutenant. A recommendation? We're scheduled to head down in less than 24 hours. All I'd needed was the Essie's damned signature. I looked down at the papers in my hands. They were brown and damp. At some point, I'd crumpled them in my fist. I need you to authorize these immediately. As I said, the site has not been cleared. Additional samples must be retrieved. Her tone didn't waver. Heat filled my cheeks. Give them too much leeway and they got notions. Her ID listed her model. This is unacceptable, SE Admin 67034. I need to speak to your manager. Certainly. I'll forward your request to SE Admin 274. It will be processed in the next two to ten business days. Please expect a response from Dr. Obano within 48 hours after that. Rage boiled in my gut, but I knew when I'd been beat. 
I got to my feet, trying to think of how I'd explain this to the general. You're going to get turned into a can opener. You can file a complaint via the internet portal. I'll be sure to alert the good doctor to your incoming communication. She turned her wrist to glance at the numbers that flashed blue through her brown skin. Another frivolous, unnecessary gesture. I'd been dismissed. Have a lovely day. And that's it. Woo. Oh, Dave. My goodness. I think it's kind of fun, but the so the, so this is part of a series of um like linked flash that I've got all related to these um these these robots, these uh, androids uh that are named Essie. And mm-hmm. uh and this this one is has done the rounds, been sent to a lot of places, but I I feel like it's just too uh it's too enmeshed in the world building, and I haven't set it up well enough on its own mm. for it to like finish satisfyingly there. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm gonna. Uh, I think I'm gonna end up cannibalizing it for something longer. But I've decided to give no up mood. the ghost. Give up the ghost and, and letting it uh, pretend that it's a story on its own. I mean, I uh, am wholly guilty of that uh i think it's something that you know we can very easily fall into especially when we do so much world building in our heads that uh we can't tell as writers what we put down on the page yeah and i'm a uh my a common offense of mine is under describing because of a fear of info dumping. Mm-hmm. So um, one of the things, like for longer work in particular, that I usually have to ask critique groups for or whatnot is, you know, where were you, where did you just not have enough information? Mm-hmm. Um, but for a story at this length, um, I think I've, I've just got too much stuff in there that I'm not willing to cut. And the other part is because it's, because it's connected to these other stories that, like I can't just change the reality of the story mm-hmm. to trim it. Like those things are are true regard- regardless. So I've just it's got too much connective tissue. It needs to go to something else, and I will right. stop pretending that it stands alone as well as I'd like it to. That I mean that makes sense, and it's also, you know, it, it's one of those things that just feels like, uh, just feels like yeah, you just need to read the other ones and then you have the content <laughs> yeah like i have a uh i have a chat book that i i think needs maybe one more piece and then it's or maybe it needs a bunch of like little ephemera type pieces to to flesh it out but um that are based around this this character and mm-hmm. i've only i've only found a home like a proper home for one of them in a short-lived zine called Trouble Among the Stars. Um, oh, neat. But, uh, which is set much further in the uh, the future than this particular one. But, uh, these, there's, I don't know, chat books and zines aren't as common in, in sci-fi world as I would like, mm-hmm. but because I spend a bunch of time uh in literary world as well i know i know how common they are in other genres so i keep trying to make them happen over here too i mean 
Look, I am 100% here for chapbooks and zines being more of a thing in the sci-fi world. It is... But he, but it's like here because it's it's my work, so I, I can't I can't keep. <laughs> someone says like I can't keep publishing myself, you know. So I've 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 let little bits of mine creep into some of the zines, like uh like bits and pieces with Void Junk or some of the other projects where it's mm-hmm. it's like supporting role. But you know that's a trap as a publisher. You can't put up right. your own stuff, so. <laughs> I will continue to try to find a home for it. Yeah, I mean, I was I was going to say uh, that I've definitely uh, seen seen your mark in a contributing way on Void Junk in particular uh, with the art for issue one, issue two. God, I have them right here in front of me, and I can't remember uh, the cover for issue one that like you ping some people and was like can i get teeth ah the back yeah the back cover of issue one yeah that was that was a weird day in the in the (laughs) slack it was like and then people were calling them toothies yeah which i feel like the actual photos are horrific on their own like people just just gave me these selfies looking down their gullets and luckily i was just uh you know, overlaying them on each other with the, the with stars and space in the background. So yeah. they were hopefully a different kind of horrifying when I was done with them. But the raw the raw material was was difficult to look at. Yeah, <laughs> I believe it. I I believe it. I uh, full disclosure, my teeth are on that back cover somewhere. <laughs> I keep on looking at that back cover and being like, what. Is that? I, I'm pretty sure that's one of my teeth. I'm not even sure what you're buying at this point. There's there's one that I'm like that that must be it. But then the one next to it doesn't look quite right. So I think I suitably, you know, made a chimeric type monster out of everybody. That it's yeah. it's a it's, it's a weird it's scavenger a good hunt tooth maw thing. <laughs> Bront. <laughs> um, so I did want to kind of ask you because you have your background in the more literary side of things literary and heavy air quotes heavy uh, air quotes and uh as a publisher what uh what goes into for you assembling a chapbook of your own stuff because that's i think something that a lot of people you know it feels kind of related to the idea of assembling a collection but in a much more i don't know sort of intentional way maybe just concise i don't know i mean i think you can do each one either i mean if it's a lot of stories or just a couple you can slap them together or you can belabor your choices right but Mm -hmm. um so i don't i don't want to be too confident on this one because i haven't (laughs) actually placed this chat book i've spent a lot of time on so but but I have also thought about it from the the editor side of the house. I've been lucky for the so so I'm I used to be the the chair of the um, DC's outright LGBTQ literary festival, right? And mm-hmm. while I was chair, we launched this um, chapbook competition that had categories in fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. And to stack the deck a little bit. Um, my fiction judges have been 
um, from the the speculative side of the house. So mm-hmm. um, one year Neon Yang judged, and then the following year River Solomon judged, and oh, then this coming this coming year is um, Darcy Little Badger is the judge. So awesome writers, and I knew that um, I was likely their appreciation of speculative work wasn't hard to predict right mm-hmm. um so the winners of those chat books one is brendan williams child's and his has three short stories mm-hmm. and then the other the the second year it's uh, paula molina acosta was the winner and her collection or her chapbook had two stories that were a bit longer. I think one's a novelette and one's a short story. Mm-hmm. Um, so in those cases, the the work the work is longer, and maybe the oh my my vocabulary is failing me. I'm thinking about how if you've got two things on the wall and you're looking at two paintings you can mm-hmm. spend some time thinking like what are the, some of the themes or the common elements between the two of them right mm-hmm. so the you can you can do that with both the, the chat books with um if you're using more pieces or um shorter work it starts to feel a little bit more like poetry almost in the sense where mm-hmm. you really have to look at like what are the like what's the ligature between these different pieces Mm-hmm. So I've largely been staying with literal linked p- work where they involve s- the same categories, which is almost like the lazy way out, right? Mm-hmm. Like clearly these are are related; they they have similar characters. But I've also read some really cool ones um, through those those contests where folks have um, linked more disparate work and the themes and the the way that you sort of approach the the work as a small body just feels a little bit mm-hmm. dif- different because of that. That was super long-winded, sorry. but No, that was good. It's the long... I mean, I guess I'm trying to say is I don't know. I know it when I see it. And some people are really good at it. And <laughs> that's one of the benefits of, of being in my seat is I get... Even if I don't get to publish it all, it's really cool to see the way people approach putting together a body of work. Mm-hmm. I mean... Look, that that sounds like a good answer from where I'm sitting. <laughs> yeah, I think it's one of those things with, I don't know that it, it's talked, well, I think you, you hear it a little bit, particularly with like reading Slush. Like, one of the best benefits of being an editor or a publisher is just changing how you view and consume work and mm-hmm. what that then does for your own craft. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely experienced that. Um, I'm I'm starting to get a bit of experience of, with that as an editor. Um, Annalie Flowerhorn, who is a local to you, and I are are co-editing a. Uh, we're calling it an issue. It's really more of an insert in the November issue of Friends Journal, which is uh, the U.S. Quaker magazine uh, of Quaker of course, speculative fiction. Yeah. I've sent a couple people your way. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, You just mentioned it and all of a sudden it's like, there's a a few people that you know that would be zooming onto that theme real quick. So, yeah. Uh, Listeners, we, you have until August 23rd of 2021 to get your submissions in Uh, details in the show notes as always. Uh, But 
you know, I, I've uh, I've started to get a bit of that experience as an editor, and I've done slush for a couple of competitions in the past where I've had that, like every time I come out of it, feeling both just like completely elated for the community, the community writ large of writers, of just being able to see so much cool work, even with all of the things that you just have to say no on, you know, maybe from sentence one, and richer for myself as a creator. Yeah, I mean, the dark side to that whole thing of getting to witness so much cool stuff before it's out in the world is that you then have to say no to a lot of that cool stuff, which yeah. is um, um, not pleasant, and especially when it's... Uh, you know, having to say no to folks that you know professionally, or you really like the story, but it wasn't right for the project, or there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of those kind of reasons. But it's also given me a lot of patience and s- sympathy for the no's that come back on my work as well. So there's that. Yeah, for sure. And it is like that is something that I really didn't have an appreciation for for the first like decade that I was working in this field where I hadn't really done any slushing and hadn't really done, like, hadn't had any editing gigs or anything like that, where it it's really easy for it to just feel impersonal. And the reality is it's just so, like, you know, I, I know for myself, I'm glad I'm getting to edit co-edit this issue, this insert, and I'm also very glad that it's somebody else's money that's actually paying the writers because (laughs) I've made no bones about it in the past. If I were running a magazine, I would go broke because I would just want to buy all the stories. It's hard. I mean, that's partly why you come up with other like limits ahead of time. Like, Mm -hmm. um, like with baffling magazine that I co-edit with Craig Gidney, it's tied the the number of stories that we buy the is tied to the income from our patreon so mm-hmm. um that's meant to you know limit us from just buying all the things that we like um yeah <laughs> that makes sense and it it is like you know i i if i were to realistically do something like that it would be i have this much money set aside per issue that's literally all i can do unless people give me more money for it (laughs) yeah i mean and then things like kickstarters come in too where it's you know you budget them based off of how big those get and yeah use that to rein yourself in so uh sitting here as we are recording the uh neon hemlock 2021 novella series is still finishing up its kickstarter by the time this releases that will be over uh but I wonder if you could talk to me just a little bit, you know, I very rarely have publishers on, uh, talk to me a little bit about what it's like doing the novella series every year. Well, so this is just my second year, so I don't want to be too complacent about it. <laughs> Fair. Um, it's, it's been, um, it's, it's been pretty rapid fire, little pell-mell, <laughs> This may mm-hmm. be the, the feel of it uh, for these for these last year and also this year. That's partly why I 
I also read ahead in Cho's works for the 2022 series already to get mm-hmm. myself out of that um, that sort of cannonball feeling. Um, right. Because I for the, the first two years, I, I read for them in October, and then I you know put them out the following year. And it's it was just a really fast turnaround. Um, so with that said, uh, don't do that, kids, is what yeah. I'm trying to say. <laughs> give yourself a little bit more lead time. Um, but it's been really cool, and there's been a, a great uh, reception for them in um, both – at the individual like community level and then also in some ways with the um critical reception and mm-hmm. um, and uh like stone and steel is up for an ignite award yellow jessamine was on the uh locust 2020 recommended reading list yep. um and the the first two books in 2020 um they sort of bore the brunt of the pandemic because they came out uh, April 5th, which is right when mm-hmm. everything was um, nosediving yeah. uh, at, at first, um, which is a shame because they're, 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 they're really cool books. Like they're, they're very different from each other, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, they've, they've both garnered really impressive and insightful reviews from folks who sort of got what they were going for. Um, and I'm hoping that as uh, people sort of find their their feet again in 2021, whenever that happens, that I can get more eyes on those books. Um, yeah. But that wasn't exactly what your question was. <laughs> you were asking sort of like what the process is like. Novellas are cool. They're you know they're longer to sink your teeth into um, than a short story, but um, they have their own cover. They feel like a book. You feel like you've you've ticked off a book in your hand. Um, they count and on Goodreads. They count on Goodreads, and uh, I feel like it's it's a length that people have been really responding to. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I don't have really the um, the the economic chops to explain <laughs> this yet, but the it, it just feels like there's like a market need for it as well as a, a reader need. It, mm-hmm. um, like we've been doing really well um and the kickstarter funded within three days i think and now everything's gravy and we're just going for stretch rewards um, yeah so as a venture for a small press to sort of be hitching its horse t- hitching a horse to carriage yeah. to hopefully the or maybe Hitch the something to no, it maybe the novellas are the horse and we're the carriage um <laughs> it's been a a cool way to get my feet wet as a publisher um, mm-hmm. in addition to the anthologies. So, um, and they're just cause there aren't that many markets for it or they, there are less markets for novellas. So there's mm-hmm. also a lot of um, like a groundswell of enthusiasm from, from yeah. play, folks looking to submit their work. I, I remember, gosh, it was probably literally a decade ago at this point. Um, when and i'm not providing background links about this because jeff bezos doesn't need any more money but the whole kindle singles thing was like you know this this huge company even then trying to like throw its muscle behind the idea of 
doing novellas without calling them novellas because like my feeling is that talking about like novel novella novelette is very sort of insider baseball for a lot of people that like unless you pay attention to the hugo categories and then also pay attention to everybody's eligibility posts you don't know what's necessarily going to be a uh, like clock in at any particular uh any particular category. Yeah, novelette is not a title that that your average reader responds to. Yeah. <laughs> like that's not that's not a thing. But I think novella people do know sometimes, but um they also just get called books. Yeah. Because I, I think we all read books that are just short books, especially I don't know, there's a lot of books in the canon, as it were, that mm-hmm. like would be thought of that way so um, yeah for sure yeah i i I remember those from college and high school mostly because they were very easy to get through quickly which was something i appreciated some of them i don't know there are a few that still were kind of a slog i yeah i still haven't quite forgiven of mice and men (laughs) i think think that's a novella when we're talking about canon we're gonna get into a slog at some point and i'm not gonna (laughs) name names but you dead authors know who you are. <laughs> so the other thing, you know, we sort of touched on this a little bit, but are there any things in particular that as an editor and, and as a publisher have really fed your writing as a creator? Oh, that's a... I think there's there's certain stories that when I've read them, um, have given me like a, uh, it's not a eureka moment because it's not like an idea I've had, but it's more, um, it's kind of like an, oh shit moment. Like, mm. a, like a, oh, this is good. Like that kind of a feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and then getting a chance to zero in a bit on what that comes from. Um, mm-hmm. And sort of when I've had that um, reaction, it's not always something I can replicate. Um, like one example is um, like in Unfettered Hexes, the story that H. A. Clark, who wrote Scapegracers, contributed for the mm-hmm. story. Like their language is is I don't like it's it's like pop rocks or something. Like when you're <laughs> when when I'm reading it, like so in. And I have that kind of feeling when I when I read their writing, and I I also had it with a uh, um, another story. I think it was I think it was Tanya Chen's, which is like a little. Um, it's called Foreclosure, and it's like a uh, um, almost like a Black Mirror oh uh-huh. vibe, but in short story form. Um, <laughs> yeah, so just. Some of those kind of stories where um, I've been so like enthralled by the work that it's pulled the editor hat hat off, so mm-hmm. to speak. Um, uh, that's a cool moment. So just and then thinking about like what made that happen, and then <laughs> thinking yeah. about can I can I do that? <laughs> um, it's also been sometimes just like cool um, formats. Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, different devices that people have kind of 
chosen and then it's like how do i open my own mind to Mm -hmm. those kind of devices yeah yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense and it it is um you know i i think it's kind of uh just a thing of like getting the volume of cool stuff that comes through and uh like i know that I read a whole lot more when I'm slushing just because I'm doing yeah. that. Like, you know, I'm, I obviously want to enjoy the things I'm reading and like want them to succeed and want them to succeed for the, you know, whatever publication I'm reading for. But I'm also like aware, like this is a job and it like tricks my brain into reading in a way that, uh, like is more, critical or an a- like analytical sometimes yeah i think you're 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 hitting on something that i i didn't quite say earlier which is um and it's not like a it's not a fugue state it's not um it's not the the feeling that you get from like economy of motion with a physical thing it's not that mm-hmm. kind of a um it's not that kind of joy that's not the right word but you're just it, it's <laughs> it's it sort of reminds me like i did my undergrad in sociology and i, I finished with a lot of stuff related to film and thinking about gender and film mm-hmm. and it got to the point where it was really hard to watch a movie without thinking about like the male gaze or yeah. like other <laughs> other sorts of um uh like analysis um so when you're in editor mode i think and you're reading a lot of work you you are sort of reading it from this perspective of is this working mm-hmm. as a, and is this doing what it needs to be doing rather than more of a simple um what's happening next which is maybe, mm-hmm. maybe a more pure yeah reader mode is like what's happening next like it, it feels like um what you were saying with it not being quite economy of of motion, but it is a sort of, I feel almost like a flow state of you are flow state. That's the right. You're you're following like the rocks on the riverbed and flowing around them. And you know, when you hit something like you notice every single rock you go over, but when you get to like a big eddy to be able to like pick up on that in a way that, you know, I think sometimes you don't get as just a normal reader because, you know, hopefully that has been smoothed out of the final product. <laughs> sure. I mean, sometimes it, you, I feel like you still end up doing that just with a casual... I mean, I, I keep coming back with film, but, like, I don't know. I've been watching The Nevers lately and having lots mm-hmm. of, like, are these the storytelling decisions that I would have chosen if I was editing this? And Right. Um, so you... So, yeah, it can still happen in just your everyday life, but it's a hundred percent the place that I'm in in editor brain, and that's when it's cool when a story pops you out of editor brain and it pops you out of that place, and you actually are just along for the ride. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really cool feeling um, in the moment, even if it ends up meaning like, oh, I have to read this again. because yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was just sure. reading it for enjoyment and not for the discerning eye. So, yeah. Yeah, and that, like, I think that that's something that 
all of us as writers can relate to in that, like, at some point in your writing career, if you make it into any sort of a career, you're going to have places where, like, you have to read a thing not for the enjoyment of it, but for the mechanics of it in one way or another. And, like, I will... I, I was rereading a project that I hadn't picked up since 2018 the other week and like there were definitely times where I was like oof I get why this wasn't working initially but there were times where I like made it several pages like wait no I have to back up because I wasn't paying attention to what I actually needed to be doing here and like you know completely understood where there were other points where I was like, oh yeah, this is a typo that hopefully would not make it to, you know, a submission packet, but totally, like, made it past every other reading I've done of this thing. Yeah, I I love when time has passed since the last time you've read something, and then you come back and you see a lot of different things, and it gives you a chance to think about what's changed in you, or like, what were you not observing the, the first time around? Yeah. And, you know, I think especially reading our own work, it's very cool to, like, I think so much of the conversation, and I think part of this for myself is, like, because of how I had initially conceived of this show, um, like, my, my first draft thought that Sarah Gailey talked me out of was get authors on to read their juvenilia, and, like, have a laugh and a cringe at things as opposed to this, which I think is more rooted in kindness and is more the show I actually want to be making, but that so much of the, the like conversation about our trunked works is around like going back to a thing we read, we wrote 10 years ago and saying, oof, no, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, the I was thinking about the the palpable level up in writing where you see like oh I can just if I redid this now I would just do it better. Mm-hmm. But I think but you're reminding me too just of projects that Luckily, I think what's lucky for me is is a lot of the work that I was writing in at the phase that you're describing that that bugged me. Mm-hmm. Um was it was like chapter ones that never went anywhere. Oh yeah. As opposed to, um, and I've just sort of banished them. I think I, mm-hmm. I don't even, I think in, in a lot of those are on like computers that have died or <laughs> they've, they've yeah. otherwise been banished blessedly to the void. And, <laughs> um, that, Oh uh, no! Uh, you're you're sending me back now. I did have this one beginning of a novel that just it uh, it had like a it wanted to be a smart story about trauma and like getting through it. it but mm-hmm. I think at the time I was reading too much um, or watching too much trash and like yeah. like the wrong kind of language and scenes and action was. Mm-hmm. infiltrating it and it just and it came across as like disingenuous and didn't work so um even if the core things underneath it were 
were genuine, the ways, the languages or the tools that I was trying to use to tell it, like, weren't successful, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have a lot of shit in my past that I need to unpack, and probably most of it I need to unpack with my therapist rather than <laughs> on the page, but there Yeah, it doesn't all have to go there. Yeah. <laughs> but there are definitely things that, like, I know I've tried to unpack on the page before and just, like, completely fallen flat or just been, like, wholly inappropriate for me to be writing. Like, I'm thinking of all the, like, extremely angry fiction I wrote right after the 2016 election. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the maybe the angry ones are more, like, uh... You know those letters that... that therapists tell you to write and not send (laughs) i it's funny that you should say that because the current twitter discourse partly is about dear evan hansen which like oh geez yikes yeah Yeah, i that's wild i forgot about that that's we don't need to take up time with we do not need confirming to time the details to... that I remember about Dear Evan Hansen. But yeah. Um, if you, dear listener, like Dear Evan Hansen, let us not tell you not to like the thing. If you do not like Evan, Dear Evan Hansen, you're also fine. Sure, I, I think any project can... Most concepts can probably be done well. I just, I cringed reading the, uh, the summary of that, just yep. in, in concern of how it might might go yeah um which yeah is what it is yeah well uh you know it's it's uh it's maybe fortuitous at this point that this weird blue police box just showed up in the room behind me so instead of talking about a musical with a 27 year old playing a teenager in it uh maybe we can step into this time machine and go back and if there's anything that you, present day, 2021 Dave Ring, would like to say to young creative Dave Ring. I feel like I had time to think about this wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um. The... the words that you wrote in the doc were to the question do you have any words of wisdom were nope and ha so <laughs> okay i feel better that that uh <laughs> that i my font of wisdom continues to be dry i think the uh i think that i get always stumble across this stumble upon this sort of a moment because it's hard to imagine becoming the person I am now without making all the mistakes I did if that Mm -hmm. makes sense so as far as advice maybe it would just be you know don't be afraid to make mistakes and keep and make make more of the ones that you were too uh, nervous about hell that's solid advice I mean I'll I'll stick with that then (laughs) (laughs) like the in a lot of ways I mean, there are a lot of ways that you can make mistakes and publicly, like, become the main character of Twitter for a day that are more damaging to yourself and others, but there, like, there are a lot of mistakes you can make 
as a writer that don't really hurt anybody other than your ego? Well, if we're talking a time machine, luckily there wasn't Twitter then, so... (laughs) You know, there but the grace of the bird site go I, something like that. Um... So uh, I wanted to take a little bit of time now to talk about Unfettered Hexes, which is coming out soon. I use coming out both in that it is actually going to appear, (laughs) and it's Pride Month, and this is Queer Tales of Insatiable Darkness. So, you know, we'll just go with that. It's true. I think it's appropriate for Pride Month and also Wrath Month and whatever other um, sins you wish to invoke i'll go um, with it but uh yeah so the book's coming out in october um the the stories are all in i'm waiting on one of the comics and we just finished the so the the art for each story is all uh, it's by uh this artist incredible artist matthew um spencer who is also doing oracle cards for the stories so we're using i'm saying this wrong they're very cool we're doing we're doing we're using the same art for the oracle cards that we are for the chapters so the folks can also get um this oracle deck inspired by all the stories and uh we just finished working on all the art yesterday i say we (laughs) i'm i'm just the busy the busy body behind the scenes saying can we do it this way um, and then I slap some some text on it. Um, I do have a little bit of design work ahead of me still to get them um, in, in in form for production and, and and thinking about just ways of interpretation. And I'm going to be writing the guidebook that comes with the cards. But mm-hmm. that's been a really cool like witchy project to go with the anthology that I'm really excited um, that we got to do. Um, so I, maybe not every anthology is going to perfectly have like an interstitial project like this to work on alongside of it, but mm-hmm. I've been really grateful that, that this one has. Um, so all the witchy things coming October 2021. Yeah. It's going to be great. Uh, listeners, as always, links will be provided in the show notes so that you can track all of these things down. Uh and is there anything else that's coming out soon uh, that you want to take a second to pump up? I know I have some things that I can pump up uh, for you for Neon Hemlock. Oh well, so there's just a we, we're just doing a lot right now. So without getting too into it, there's two books of poetry that are currently at the printer right now. Um, one um, by Rasha Abdulhadi and one by Joe Reyes Boitel. Um, also issue two of a formal invitation, which is a more literary zine for the first one. I invited eight folks that I know from different writing spaces to write a thing and give it to me for the zine for issue two. They each invited someone else that they know. And so, um, so that work is in issue two, um, those things. Then, uh, we're here. The best queer speculative fiction 2020 is, um, in design, in layout right now. Um, that's and who's thing. that edited by again? Thank you. <laughs> Charles Basier and C.L. Clark uh, edited 
2020, and then for 2021, L.D. Lewis is coming on board as the the guest editor to join Charles. Um, Fantastic. Then Baffling Magazine is issue th- issue four. I can count is July first. Um, and that will be our first full year. We'll be we'll be out in the world on July first. So we're also going to have a uh, a book collecting the whole first year that we'll be selling as well. Um, but those stories are all available to read at bafflingmag.com. dot um, That is awesome. And listeners, if you haven't ever gotten anything from Neon Hemlock, I know I'm spending a lot of time gassing this press up. It's only because hey, I love keep it. it. Keep it coming. Keep it coming. I'm not getting paid for any of this right now. Uh, but, like, the production values on everything I've gotten from Neon Hemlock have been spectacular. So if you're the sort of person who likes to read things as an artifact you can hold in your hand, absolutely get that year one baffling book when it comes out. That's kind of you. I, it's we, we work with a, a cool printer in Minneapolis. If anyone's curious, to Bookmobile, um, and the one of the great joys of being a publisher is getting to commission art for things as well. Mm-hmm. Like I can't, I can't downplay that enough. Um, it feels like you know, commi- it, it's even even greater than commissioning like a like an like a portrait of your D D character or whatever it's 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 times times 100 that yeah um i mean i i have commissioned two works of art for this show i commissioned the logo when i first conceived of the show and worked with an artist who i've been friends with for uh a long time now uh hannah russell and then uh worked last summer with ryan boyd to commission a theme song for the show that just absolutely slaps i just finished editing may's episode last night and i just like every time i finish editing an an episode i go and take a listen straight through that song because it just like blows me away every every time just because it's like yeah this is a thing i spent money on and it came out like my my creative brief was like 12 words and 18 question marks and <laughs> Ryan took it and turned this amazing a minute and a half track out for me and you know so i yeah, i feel yeah. you on that with commissioning commissioning art yeah the like i don't know if it's quite the word, but the gestalt of of getting to come together with other um, creatives to do stuff that you couldn't do on your own is definitely one of the most rewarding and kind of um, uh, not self-perpetuating but motivating parts about you know being part of a, a press and kind of pushing that stuff forward so it's it's not just you're making stuff for yourself it's like you're building something with mm-hmm. your community so yeah uh, real quick, one other thing that I'd like to mention, uh, since I mentioned earlier the uh, submission period I have open right now, I believe that at the time this episode goes live, uh, the 2023 novella submission period will be open for people of color, and 
Yep. Then and then, so it's we've got a two. Gosh, I'm gonna say a two week submission period. I don't have the dates right in front of me in June. Um, and then uh, for for writers of color, and then for ev- for all writers in October, and they're all for the um, the 2023 novella series. Uh, details can be found on Neon Hemlock's website and, of course, in the show notes as well. I just want to pump that up because if you like the things that you've seen so far from the novella series, I know that we had uh, Caitlin Starling on last year right before uh, Yellow Jessamine came out, and that's just an absolutely fantastic book. Uh, I am currently reading... uh, an arc of one of this year's novellas that is just blowing me away. And uh, so if you want more work like that, why not submit your own? Shoot your shot. Give us your stories. Give Dave your stories. Uh, Dave, where can our listeners find you on the internet? So you can find me, like personally, myself, um, dave-ring.com, and then Neon Hemlock stuff is at neonhemlock.com. Um, and then if you're on, on Twitter, uh, my username or handle or whatever is SlickHop, and then Neon Hemlock is still Neon Hemlock. Fantastic. Dave, thank you so, so much for being on the show. It's pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure, yeah. Uh Listeners, stick around next month when our guests will be John Apple and L.D. Lewis. It's going to be a blast. Very cool. Tales from the Trunk is mixed and produced in beautiful Oakland, California. Our theme music is Paper Wings by Ryan Boyd. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash trunkcast. All patrons of the show now get a sticker and logo button, along with show outtakes and other content that can't be found anywhere else. You can find the show on Twitter at trunkcast, and I tweet at hbbisniacs. If you like the show, consider taking a moment to rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. And remember, don't self-reject. (laughs) 